0: Welcome to Live Like an Acrobat. I'm your host, Shanae Stiletto, two-time world acrobatic gymnastics champion, USA Gymnastics Hall of Fame member, and Cirque artist. I'm also an advocate for rain. On each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast, I discuss acro handstanding in terms of training tips, coaching, and I explore circus and acrobatic gymnastics competitive life as I have lived it from past to current, and I theorize on what the future may bring in these fields. On each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast, I will bring you insight through my own experiences, which are rooted in a perspective built on social justice advocacy and how these important issues continue to intersect between the circus arts and acrobatics competitive worlds at large. On each episode, I have the pleasure of discussing these various narratives with a variety of fascinating special guests. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast. Please make sure to check out thecircuspreneurblog.com for extended conversations and interactive content of each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast. Check out circo.co, a new circus school online international platform where you can learn hand balancing with me and learn so many other circus disciplines from trained circ performers from all over the world. Join the Live Like an Acrobat podcast on Patreon. Become a patron. Enjoy early episode releases of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast and stay tuned for more exclusive content to come in the future as the community grows. Help me, your host, Shanae Stiletto, to keep bringing you the creatively innovative episodes that you've grown to love by signing up at www.patreon.com slash live like an acrobat podcast. I hope to see you on Patreon, and thank you so much for your support of the podcast. It's my intention that the Live Like an Acrobat podcast will make a lasting positive impact on the circus arts world, performing arts world, creative entrepreneurship world, and acrobatic gymnastics competitive world at large. Check out my new vlog series, Think Like an Acrobat, which is available exclusively on Circus Talk as a pro series. It's offering pro tips to professionals within the circus arts industry. On episode 5 of Think Like an Acrobat, we are learning how to represent ourselves by an agent of circus, founder of Dolphin Creative Events, Stuart Avery, because there's no typical agent out there anymore. So the more you know, the better you know how to represent yourself. Oftentimes, artists must consider the role of agent to apply exclusively to themselves. A special event shout out to all of my BIPOC listeners is Creating Future Black Spaces with Jean Paul Zaccarini. It's a five part course for future Black leaders in performing arts in North America. Creating Future Black Spaces is a free course of workshops offered in collaboration with Stockholm University of the Arts and Circus Talk by Jean Paul Zaccarini. The course is open specifically to BIPOC located in North America and space is limited to 20 participants. Registrants are highly encouraged to sign up only if they plan to attend all five sessions in order to respect the limited space. And if you are looking to support a good cause while enjoying the incredible works of some very talented acrobats, Zip Zap Circus, is premiering its new acrobatic art film, Moya, Friday, April 23rd, until April 25th. Tickets are on sale now, and the link can be found in the bio of SipSap Circus on Instagram. This extraordinary short acrobatic art film is rooted in South African culture seen through the lens of their youth. This is their professional performing wing at its finest, exploring collective acrobatic work, African dance, gumboots, Pansula, and traditional circus disciplines. Proceeds will fund Zip Zap Circus's free youth and outreach programs, positively impacting the lives of 2,000 youth at risk every year and empowering them through circus arts. On this episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast, continuing our celebration of Women's History Month, I have the absolute honor of interviewing the ladybug character from Cirque du Soleil's touring show OVO, Michelle Natlock. Michelle Nicole Matlock is the founder of Circle Up Productions, or CUP, a live entertainment and performing arts education company based in Tacoma, Washington. Currently, Michelle is directing the Starfish Project at Seattle's Intamin Theater, curator of Puget Sound Revels, Our truths and Evening of BIPOC Stories and leading several online Power of Play Clown workshops. Michelle has been a part of the entertainment industry for over 25 years and had the honor of being the first African American woman to create a man character for Cirque du Soleil. She toured with Cirque's Big Top show, OVO for close to 10 years. Prior to Cirque du Soleil, Michelle spent 15 years as a performing artist, teacher, and producer in New York City. During that time, she toured her critically acclaimed solo show, The Mammy Project, across North and South America, and had the pleasure of working in the New York theater and circus scene, playing with Big Apple Circus, Circus Amok, and the Blind Stiff Family Circus. Michelle grew up in Tacoma, Washington, studied theater for three years at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington, and is a graduate of the National Shakespeare Conservatory in New York City. After her graduation from the conservatory, she immediately began playing roles for Moonwork, Inc., Faye Simpsons, Impact Theatre, and later the new acting company. She was handpicked to join Royal Caribbean Cruise Line's Cruise Comic Program, which is an interactive clown program aboard their Voyager class ships. As a cruise comic, Michelle was introduced to the art of clowning, juggling, and still walking. She then went on to clown for the Blind Stiff Family Circus and Circus Amok. She had the pleasure of being selected to clown for the Big Apple Clown Care Unit, which brings classical circus to hospitalized children at pediatric facilities across the United States. The Blind Stiff Family Circus gave Michelle her first opportunity to workshop her solo show, The Mammy Project, in front of an audience at their Palace of Variety performance space on 42nd Street. She was given every Monday night for 12 weeks. The Mammy Project was produced by Performance Space 122 in New York City's East Village. The Mammy Project has since then been presented at universities and theaters across the US, Canada, and South America. Please welcome my special guest, Michelle Matlock, to the show. My conversation with Michelle Matlock was simply fantastic. Michelle is just wonderful. She has such a Beautiful spirit as you will hear in this episode. I had a fabulous time connecting with Michelle and Uncovering more of who she is and how she became who she is and how she came into the amazing experiences that she's had as a performing artist as an actor as a clown and as an african-american woman who has shown up and projected herself into spaces in really fascinating ways and is really holding space for such a tiny demographic of personages that exists within the circus and the circ communities. And that is black clowns, uh, black female clowns even. It gets even more specific, but I would say just African-American clowns in general, um, in the circus community at large, but specifically, obviously, to the environment in Cirque, um, that is so incredibly profound that even in 2021, we are having conversations like this and speaking of individuals that are the only ones or that um, we can't say too many names of uh, that have embodied, uh, roles of this type and of this nature within the circus community. Um, I myself, of course, identify so closely with Michelle's experience as so many of us BIPOC artists do being the first of our, uh, of our roles and our genres, uh, in circus, in Cirque du Soleil, um, in various different forms and varieties, um and i think that's powerful. It's powerful to celebrate that and to speak to Michelle during Women's History Month. We just came off of Black History Month and as i speak to Michelle uh in this episode we are now going into Sexual Violence Awareness Prevention Month in April. So those are topics that are all so heavily related um because women of color uh are uh we are so vulnerable within the world at large. We are vulnerable within the circus arts and the performing arts communities. And our voices are continuing to get heard more and more because it's not as if they have not been loud. You will be incredibly inspired by the direction and conviction of Michelle Matlock and of how she's navigated her path and how she has advocated for herself and how she has followed her own path. Really, really follow her own path. And I really hope that it inspires you as a BIPOC artist, as an artist that's not BIPOC, um, to follow your heart and to show up for yourself and to remind yourself that even though you are the first of your kind in your space or a renegade or the only one, I can only imagine how uh, the inner challenges and workings of what Michelle has gone through in existing as the only black clown, um, in so many spaces, um, I have myself as the only black cam balancer, only black acrobat, um, can identify, uh, so much. And so there's so much that we share, um, in our lived experiences. Um, and so I think that it takes a special kind of person, a special kind of human being, um, to show up every single day as Michelle did Uh, for nearly 10 years um, in OVO um, and As you will hear, I don't want to say too much about what she said and take away the goodness of her uh, recollections and her experiences and her crazy stories (laughs) that you'll hear about in this episode, which ended up not being so crazy as much as just profound and very grounded and very straightforward and informative and educational. So you'll learn a lot. You'll grow a lot through Michelle's words and through her reflections and again, through just her her lightheartedness and her smiling and laughing her way through her experiences that we know are a lot heavier than she even recounts them as. And as so many of us, when we are recounting our experiences, we have learned to not make them as heavy and we've learned to process them in so many ways on our own and be strong and be powerful and learn how to take the edge off. And so you will hear Michelle taking the edge off a lot about her experiences, which we all know um, on the outside looking in or being on the inside ourselves of experiences very similar, uh, that it is not for the faint of heart. And um, that, yeah, when you are ahead of your time, but then when you're also put into a space and you take full advantage of the opportunities that you've been given, how much you can soar and how far you can go, and then how much you can go and help others, which is what Michelle is doing and what she has been committed to doing. And so I hope that you are inspired by Michelle's words just as much as I was. I know that you will be and, um, yeah, that you follow her and that you, um, uh, invite yourself into her community. <laughs> she's very open. She's very <laughs> happy. She's very, uh, she's very smiley and, um, uh, and, uh, just as animated and as precious as her ladybug uh, character. So please enjoy my conversation with the beautiful Michelle Matlock. michelle i'm so happy to meet you and to have you on the live like an acrobat podcast thank you so much for coming on to the show how are you today
1: I'm doing great. Super excited to be here with you today. Uh
0: Thank you so much. I have to say your shout out promoting your episode was hilarious, by the way. Thank you so much for doing that. I was laughing so hard.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's good because I I was laughing by myself. I wasn't sure if anybody else would laugh. (laughs) That was fun to do, though.
0: (laughs) Listeners, Michelle promised some crazy stories in this episode. So I'm holding you to it, Michelle. You've got to reveal some sizzling hot tea in this episode okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll see what I can come up with or maybe I'll have to make something up <laughs>
0: <laughs> either way either way we're waiting we're listening <laughs> oh yeah you yeah, do tell well I, I have to do a shout out to Joel Baker for sliding into my DMs and recommending you for the podcast Michelle <laughs>
1: Oh, cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I get that a lot now with the podcast and guest offers. You know, everybody messages me like, you haven't had this person on the show yet. You have to have them and they're great and they're amazing. They're awesome. Like, yes, I know that person. And yes, I know that other person. I can't do a podcast every day, but thank you. <laughs> I'll have them on eventually. I, I, I promise, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, Joel is amazing and he's going to be on the podcast in the near future. And, you know, yeah, I try to be intuitive about when I have someone on so that I can honor honor them in a specific way so I usually wait and I think like okay this is going to be a great time to have them on and I thought Women's History Month would be perfect to honor your career Michelle as the first African-American woman to create a main character for Cirque du Soleil production as the Ladybug Clown and I also wanted to honor the fact that the production of Ovo which um, you performed as the Ladybug Inn was the first female directed Cirque du Soleil show so I thought that was cause for celebration to BIPOC women making circus history and you know, you stayed in Ovo forever, which I think is another celebration.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: You made history in all sorts of ways. You know, you're one of the lifers, Michelle. That's what I like to call everyone holding records for staying in circ shows for... Like decades, you know, it's like, it's like the women in O, you know, which is making its comeback later, you know, in the, in the summer, thankfully in Vegas, but so many of them were in O for like 30 years. Um, And I like to, yeah, I like to joke about that. I auditioned with a few of them like uh, several years ago when I was going to do O and it's just, yeah, it's really funny. Every time I think about anyone staying in a show forever, I always think about the um, porters in O.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. That is incredible. I know. I know I've heard about some of those acrobats and, Different, some clowns even that um, been on that sh- been on shows for years. I think the clowns in Mysteria were on for years and years. Um, yeah, and I and my almost my close to ten years with Cirque. Um, it was amazing, and I I don't regret any 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 year at all, um, and just what a what an amazing amazing experience it was
0: wow yeah well you know my own journey in Veracai was you know it was very different of course my career with Cirque started before 2008 and I did Verakai years after but I stepped into a character that was already defined and your journey was very different with respect to creating the ladybug character in Ovo and you know back to um back to Veracai with respect also to us both being in historic productions Michelle again this is women's history month so I want to celebrate all things circus women And, uh, you know, Verakai had the first female composer uh, in Cirque du Soleil history, Violaine Corradi. She did Drey Léon. She did, I think it was... Zed, um, and uh, I was honored to perform with her sister, who was the main singer in the show, Isabel. Um, I think actually, yeah, no, Violin She uh, did Zaya. I'm sorry, not Zed. And uh, yeah, I've always been in love um, uh, uh, with uh, since the creation of *Erikai* with the soundtrack of that show. So I thought that was another, you know, beautiful first, you know, to honor uh, so many uh, historic women, um, you know, that were really groundbreaking um, in Cirque du Soleil history and. And um, I also wanted to honor another woman that I always think about when I think about OVO, coming back to you, Michelle. When I think of OVO, I also think of Ghana. I know that you know Ghana. Mm, Yes. 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 yes, yes. Yeah. She's incredible. She's a Mongolian contortionist. And um, she was in OVO on and off for many years. And I worked with Ghana and Cirque and have known her for a really long time. And so that's where my mind goes when I, because I love Ghana. And uh, I, you know, I know we have so many more people in common, Michelle, but when, but Ghana has you know, always been my main connect to ovo. Um and yeah, I went
1: to so Ghana, Ghana is amazing. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Ghana, this is gonna be funny. Ghana actually was so when I was when we were in Japan working together, is when I first started, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about just podcasts. And I started my first podcast while I was in Japan. Uh um and it was about um I wanted to interview uh, artists that were sort of these independent performing artists that, that didn't work with agents all the time, just sort of like created their own path in the entertainment industry. And, you know, like was into like getting multiple streams of income and all these different things. Well, anyway, Ghana was the first artist that I got to record with. And she had so many wonderful stories about um, having a, um, that she 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 bought all that she invested her money in goats. <laughs> she invested her money in goats is incredible. like and she's just telling me how this like goat business worked. Um, and I was just like, amazing story. I have to go back and find that recording. But anyway, Ghana is as an awesome human being, very talented artist. We were we were great friends, and um, I miss her. I Miss Ghana, man. I want to I want to connect with her. It's been a while.
0: Well, you've got to connect. You've got to put out her interview about the goats. I mean, yeah, yeah,
1: it's it's out there. I think at that time, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So <laughs> I was I, everything was on SoundCloud. So I have to find that account and see it. You know, I know it's if still, but it's so obscure that no one would ever be able to find it. But I did, um, I did, I think three or four interviews, one with uh, the Diabloist, Tony, that was on our show, one with Ghana, one with a circus clown, um, Amy G, and, and just sort of dug into how they operate as performing artists and, and, and sort of creating their own path. And, and then on top of that, like, how do they, how do they like, you know, create multiple streams of income, if they're into that, if they had other businesses, I was really trying to speak to the, um, to the, the, the business side of being an artist, which we, a lot of us resist, or it's really hard, we never learn how to do it. And so anyway, uh, I have to find that. Yeah. And like, Sort of re- try to re-release it because it was super interesting and just funny. Like I was just remember being so amazed with Ghana and her her investment in goats. Like I had never heard anything like that. <laughs> <It's
0: nice. laughs> that is hilarious. That is hilarious. But that's like. That's, I called I call us all circuspreneurs. Um, you know, yes, all of us great. living out this, you know, entrepreneurship in circus. And that's what that's how me and Ghana met because she and I were very similar in that way. We've gone in and out of surf for for years. And so we would go in and out, and she went in and out of ovo for years, you know, doing short-term yeah. contracts. And I really love that. And I was always on kind of like the side of that. And I could have easily gone into a show and been in a show for a very long time too. I think it's just different. Everybody Everybody's path is just like totally different, but that's how our connection happened because we were we're both based in LA, and so we're both going like you know in and out and seeing like where we're going right. next. But I did not know her goat story, which I think is hilarious. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think oh it's incredibly yeah. Incredibly savvy. Again, I love. I love artists. I love how savvy everyone is. And I love I love reminding everybody that like whatever idea that you think is like, again, like ahead of its time, like you were doing podcasting then. I always tell people I wanted to start a podcast like over 10 years ago. I was going to do it with my former circus duo. We were going to have like a circus talk show. And this was like over, it was a very long time ago. And it was like before everything was a thing. And, you know, I love listening to people's stories too and seeing like when they were doing that kind of unique thing thing and maybe like you fell off like I didn't end up doing it right it like took like all this time for me to eventually like get catch my bearings and like you know find my voice and 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 establish it but I've I've always like geeked out on podcasts I love them but I love that you um did that I would love to eventually hear a clip on that and I yeah I can't wait to have Ghana um on the show too to speak to her like to her journey and her life because she has a really fascinating life as
1: oh it's incredible yeah yeah. like interviewing her was just like so wonderful and fascinating and, and to hear her journey and what, where, where she's come from and what she's doing uh, and what she's been able to do is, is awesome. And, um and I'm with you on that. I was, I'm like, you know, I just, so I, when I, I did that, that was in, oh God, I was in Japan in 2013, 14 when I was starting that. And the whole idea was just like all that you're talking about, like, you know, just trying to uh, motivate artists to do, what they want to do and to know their value. And, um, and so I, and I recently just sort of dug back into that cause I had created a blog along with that. And so now I'm developing a course that is um, uh, teaching artists how to use entrepreneurial skills to uh, thrive basically. And so I'm taking some of those principles that I did years ago and, and bringing them up to date and creating a course. And it's just like you said, like, You know, you can have an idea and you, you you know, you know, I think everything happens in the right timing, but I really motivate artists is just start because, you know, it's like, like, you know, you're going to, you're going to mess up. It's not going to be perfect. And the only way to get to like uh, a, a good product is to keep, is to start and do it, start and mess up, hurry up and mess up. That's what I keep telling folks, just hurry up and mess up and, you know, in the clown world. Messing up is, you know, where the gold is found, like failure, like we have to lean into failure big time, because on the other side of failure is, is the success is where we find the funny, where a whole room is like bent over laughing. It's after a huge failure happens. So um, I'm totally with you. You can, you know, get that idea, get it, get it going. Don't sit on it, you know, too long. Just start start
0: well when is this um when is your course happening i would love to hear like more about that like how can people get involved and yeah what's the crux of it and when is it going to be and how can we discover more about it
1: yeah so i am developing the course right now and i'm doing a series of interviews with performing artists and creatives in general um and just to get an idea of some of the things that um I want to have in the course that will meet people's needs. So right now um, on my social medias, uh, I have a bunch of call outs just to connect with, um, connect with folks that are willing to talk to me, to, to tell me like sort of what's going on. And um, right now I've, I've interviewed probably about four or five artists already. And I already see where, where we all have, problems, right? Like I think the biggest thing that every I think that every single artist has a time management problem, right? Like <laughs> and so um
0: so what do you I mean be... Yeah exactly. We only we only have all day before we have to go into work. What do you mean Michelle? We have no time to do anything. We only have all day and then we have to go to work at seven o'clock at night and then we get off at nine. What do you mean?
1: Exactly. And I don't and, and I found out like, you know, um during this pandemic like that that it's not you know I am just it's my part of my type to be a procrastinator because at the beginning of the pandemic I had nothing and I still couldn't get anything done so <laughs> has nothing to do with like how much I had to do or not I'm just a procrastinator I have to fight that uh vigorously but yeah so I my social media is Michelle in Matlock on Facebook Um, and, uh, for this, uh, thriving pack, that's thriving PAC on Instagram. It's at thriving pack, And that's sort of like thriving, performing artists and creatives thriving pack. But I have a bunch of posts that I'm releasing. That's just sort of introducing this idea of, um, develop, developing this workshop slash course for performing artists and creatives to, to bring up the, our level of, um, uh, skill and use of entrepreneurial skills to, um, to be thriving, you know, like I just, I always talk about like this strategy that I, that I, that I started to develop years ago when I was sick and tired, sick and tired of being broke all the time, (laughs) right? Like, um, and, and, and sick and tired of doing things other than uh, what I was passionate about. And I just sort of, you know, used this strategy and got real focused in, And once I sort of changed my mindset that as a performing artist, I don't have to be live in poverty because that's kind of what they teach us as artists Mm -hmm. is like, if you're choosing to be an artist, um, you know, like you're going to be a starving artist and that's just how it is. You're giving up, you know, your abundance to be creative, which is ridiculous. right. So as soon as I changed that mindset, that's when things just changed for me. Um, And I was able to thrive as an artist and make a really good living. And that's how I made it through this pandemic, is just doing the things that I always did. I've almost worked more in 2020 than I did in 2019. Um, (laughs) Same. And so, yeah, yeah. And so... Um, so, so yeah, check out the social medias. I'm just dripping like some info and some ideas and letting people know what I'm working on and also doing interviews with, um, some artists that are willing to spend like 20 minutes talking about, um, where, where their, where their blockages are, where their successes are. Um, so I can really create something that will actually be really useful and helpful to artists as they, as their journey and their careers, um you know continue
0: yeah of course i think that's really fantastic that's that's fabulous i love that michelle i've also trying to do that with my efforts with my think like an acrobat series which is the offshoot of my live like an acrobat podcast and and oh, cool. creating and adapting tools and being business-minded because like you're saying this is a business and once you get to that the, the sooner you get to that the better you're going to have a career and I mean did you get to that before you got into circ or did that develop while you were in circ in a long-term contract because you know I always tell artists too it's also too in the flow of your work it's a different kind of animal Staying in a production of that size and maintaining that role, and then making sure that you have something to show for it, you know, years afterwards once you leave it, and then it's also a different animal of going in and around, kind of like me and Ghana did, doing freelance work and going in and out of contracts every six months or once a year or every few months or just doing, you know, corporate events. I mean, all those are very interesting in different mediums, and you really need to understand that there is a an arithmetic to them. I meet artists that think that people are just getting lucky, and I always remind them, no. It's not some some things are luck. I think it's a combination of different things. But you know, sometimes when you reveal certain information to them, they're like, "Oh, well, that makes total sense." Like that that situation looks completely different. It's like peeling back the curtain, you know, for people. You know, and so. I think it's so beneficial. I don't think that we do it enough, and I think that this time is so precious because people are doing it so much and being even more transparent about this business and not letting people go into these environments blind. I definitely don't want anybody to do that. I always tell them, I don't want you to make any of the mistakes that I made. I want you to have a better future and a better career than I had, even though I flourished and you know I had a I've had a very good career, just like you've had an, an incredible career as well, Michelle. But you know, we all have like failed and learned things along the way. No, no one's had a perfect career. I always remind artists too. even the artists that you see you've had incredible careers it's like the stories that I could tell you or the mistakes or things that happened to them where you know things didn't go great for them business wise it's like you know it would humble you and it would make you understand like oh okay like they're human just like me they've made those mistakes or there's things that I need to kind of like I need to protect myself from I need to shield myself from in this business because it's a business and not everybody has your best interest in heart even though it's an artistic space and I think that once you understand that too you're you know you thrive a lot better here and you'll have a career that I think can take care of you for a long time like you said instead of it just being like an experience that you can share but you don't have anything to show for at the end of the day
1: yeah yeah exactly all that yes girl you can talk a mile a minute I am like you this is so good you pack so much information into like 30 seconds of talking
0: (laughs) I told you Michelle <laughs> I'm getting better I'm practicing I'm practicing with the I podcast. I'm trying to get better yeah to get back to get back to my guests thank you so much I, I also you have that workshop coming up you also have uh, your power of play workshop that is a BIPOC exclusive and by BIPOC listeners I mean black indigenous and people of color and uh, could you please speak to that Michelle like what inspired your workshop um, It's it's been running since last year and it's got several dates coming up soon and you've got amazing feedback from the workshop with performers saying it's truly one of the- the best classes they've ever taken. So please take us inside the workings of your upcoming workshop.
1: Yes. Well, I want to do that, but I do want to back up to what you were talking about for, for a second, just about, uh, you know, this, this mindset and also, you know, being inside the Cirque du Soleil. So I, my mindset kind of changed before Cirque du Soleil happened, Um, my mindset about um, scarcity and what was possible. And I believe that mindset actually attracted Cirque du Soleil, that experience to to me. And so, um, and I was reading a lot of material. I had no financial education. So I was like trying to financially educate myself. So by the time I got to Cirque du Soleil, I was ready. Like if they got me at a time where I was like, I wasn't, you know, like young just like wanting to spend all my money. I wanted to utilize that that consistent pay to set me up for the next phase of my life and I went in knowing that very very, yeah, I was a very strong in my mind. So I was all about like multiple streams of income, buying property, uh, creating businesses. And that's where my money went. And it set me up for what I'm doing right now. It set me up so that after I would, and I didn't know that I was going to be there for 10 years, but, um, but it set me up for my, cause I knew like if I left Cirque du, when when I left Cirque du Soleil, I would have to reinvent myself again. And we're all, as artists, we're constantly reinventing ourselves. So yes. uh, I just wanted to speak to that. And and I talked a lot about that in my, uh, with my cast and with some of the young artists. It's like, what are you going to do after Cirque? You know, like, where are you investing your money? Where, you know. Do it now. Passive income, all these things. Set yourself up for when you're going to transition out of Cirque du Soleil because it's going to take time. You're not going to, you know, like for some of us anyway, it will take some time. Some people will just bounce around and continue to do whatever. But eventually, you know, there's a transition from being, um, you know, an acrobat or, you know, whatever. Uh, so, So prepare for that. So, um, so yes, I just wanted to get that in a little bit. <laughs> so yes, my power of play workshop, I developed this workshop, um, I was brought to New York to do it for La Mama um, and Trinity College up in Connecticut, Connecticut, uh, teaching some of the college uh, students there. And I really wanted to create something that was just about like, letting go, you know, getting out of your mind and into your body, stage presence and embracing the failure um, and just having fun. Uh, so so yes, I am have been doing it quite often last year and this year. I have one coming up on the April 1st and you could go to dot circleup.fun, circleup.fun to find out mostly everything that I'm doing circleup.fun. Um, I also through clowngym.com and do it. I'm doing a BIPOC exclusive power of play workshop. Um, and we have two or three more months of that. We're going to try to do a, a by all BIPOC clown show in June, the day before Juneteenth. Um, so anybody is welcome to come join in the black joy. Um, <laughs> And, and we're going to create, create something ridiculous. And you're welcome to just like sit in, watch, participate. Um, Really, really fun stuff. I'm having, I'm having a ball doing, doing all these workshops and just, um, and, you know, I have the same idea as you. It's just like, I want to be able to um, give back to young artists and, 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 you know, let's, just pour into young artists so they don't make the same mistakes as I do. Even the for old sure. ones. <laughs> even the old ones. Anyone that's willing, even, even the one, anyone that's willing and open, you're right. You're totally right. Um,
0: uh, <laughs> I remind everybody, you know, sometimes they're always like, "Well, you know, the other generation is coming up." I'm like, "Well, hey, the the current ones are still breathing, y'all." Like, every you know, everyone's alive.
1: <laughs> no, that's so true. That's so true. I always have this reaction when people try to relegate what I do to kids. They're like, "Oh, your circus? Oh, my children?" And I was like, "You're an example for your children. Like, <laughs> you, you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not all about like. I love working with kids. It's great, and I've done it a lot. Uh, but." I love working with the adults to bring them back to that childlike wonderment, right? And I always say to them, "You're the one that needs the class. Your kids already know how to play." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you've forgotten. You've forgotten what play brings to your life and um you know you need to set an example for your kids so anyway you're you're totally right
0: yeah it's like you know it's I always remind people you know like you're still in the game I remind people that for for myself I think that comes into play with even just ageism you know where I tell people like we're all still in the game we're all actively working we're in our prime so many of us can do our best work right now it's not so much of us just throwing that away and being like Over there, I was like, we can do all those things. And I think we're all works in progress. It's like to be able to go to the next stage of my career, what mentorship do I need at this stage, where I'm still taking things in, and I'm still learning, and I'm still discovering, you know, like all of those things are beneficial, like what you're offering in your workshops, you're offering it, you know, to everybody at at different stages of where they are. And again, like we're saying, For the younger generations, of course, that's why we're we're doing what we do. Also, I think it's just, I think it's just like everything, but I I definitely notice that the older that I get, the more I feel that people start to sideline certain aspects of where you can vibe in spaces that you've spent a lot of time in. And I think that's unfortunate. And I don't think that's right because it's like somebody like you, Michelle, that has built up so much and that knows so much. It's like, well, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be relegated anywhere. You can keep popping up in all sorts of those like main spaces and, you know, and, and again, you're learning and growing and and adapting to things and evolving into other facets of who you are, who you are, who you want to be, Um, you know, as a performer, as a director, as an instructor, as a teacher, um, you know, I was even thinking in so much of, you know, do you see yourself, um, you know, in the future coming back to work with Cirque in some other type of role and part of a creation team? Or has there been an invitation for you? Is that something that you're interested in? Or do you see yourself maybe saying like more independent in that way? But I mean, you know, you have so much um, creative artistic knowledge. Um, I think that would be really interesting, especially because you were, you know, part of creating your character, which is different, um, you know, than coming in and like assuming a role and having it like done for you you um and you know even back to the ladybug character from ovo um i saw your interview speaking about how that was such a different type of character for you to play for you and also that it wasn't a typical character that you thought for yourself to play which i i find really fascinating for artists that i've met that get a defining role for them that's that's really not who they are but it becomes like everything it becomes their shtick and you know i just thought you know how did that um how was, how did that have an effect on you? What was that, you know, what was that like for you? And, and in, again, in relationship to what you see yourself and maybe what role you'll be going back to if you work for Cirque again? Yeah.
1: um, What, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, before Cirque um, approached me, I was really frustrated with the entertainment industry in general. And I'm coming from a performing arts actor background where, you really get put in boxes a lot of times and and I got to remember this is back in the early 2000s so a lot of stuff has happened since then but when i was in new york and trying to be an actress i just got fed up with like that there was no vision for me african american generously proportioned beautiful soul woman right like there, they I was getting called for different things that I just was like, what is going on? I, there's so much more to me and so many more stories um, that should be told. So I started, you know, writing for myself and I wrote a one woman show that talked about some of the, these stereotypes that we get casted as. And in that show, you know, there's a part of the show where I was asking like I want kung fu man you never see a big black girl being a kung fu being a kung fu artist and at that time we hadn't seen any black uh uh game show hosts and we would rarely see black leads that were the um romantic lead you know the romantic lead or the one chase and so when I got to develop this role for Cirque I got the opportunity for all of that. I got to do Kung Fu, you know, I got to like be the main character that was chased and it was all about love and falling in love. And um, so it, it really, you know, it, it really um, fulfilled my dreams and yeah, the, the, the character was really, you know, girly and like fingernail, like it was in my contract that I had to paint my fingernails, pink, <laughs> right? Like, which is the opposite of what I would ever do. Um, But I got really used to it. And then I, I turned it into a pampering thing since Cirque it was on Cirque's dime anyway. So I could go get my fingernails done and get all pampered. Um But yeah, but, but what was great is that I, I didn't have a problem playing that role for almost 10 years because uh, it brought me joy. Like she was all about love and falling in love and being loved and sexy and funny. Um, and so it was a departure from what I had been really offered, um, in terms of roles and on the cherry on top of the cake was that I got to create it. So I got to create something that I could totally do all the time since I was the creator of it. Um, and so, What an amazing experience! I went through two creations with Cirque. One was for the Big Top show, and then when the Big Top show closed down, we went back to Montreal and created uh, for Arena. And so that was two very different experiences. Enjoyed both of them. Um, I would, I would, I I, everything's always on the table with Cirque, of course. Like I would love to work with them, Um, and you know, again, if I could, if 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 it was feasible and it made sense, I would totally work with him. Now, would I be able to go on the road like that again? I don't know. <laughs> I'm old. I'm an old lady now. <laughs> old lady on the road like that. Like they, like Cirque caught me at the perfect time, like the perfect 10 years of my life that I could do that. Um, but, uh but, but, you know, um, but exploring different uh, characters and themes and, 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 uh, workshopping different stuff, uh, or, or, um, workshopping different ideas. I know they used to do that a lot. Uh, I would be totally game for, it, and if I'm able to do it, um, of course. And there was always when I was, you know, announcing that I was leaving, there was always talk of that, um, from different folks, like, you know, just ideas of what I could do or what I would do. And so, yeah, I'm always open to CERC. I I love the, you know, just being able to, um, just just go, at, you know, with your big imagination that, you know, like anything is possible until it's not <laughs> <laughs> um, with circuits like, you know, they dream big in the beginning, you know, that that was what was so wonderful about that first creation too, um, with Deborah Calker, was the director and choreographer, um, just, she's just dreaming so big. We had all these big ideas and it was great. And that kind of got toned down to reality once you figure out how you could get a show on the road, <laughs> but, um, that's the way that it should start. You should start just huge and see what comes out of that and then be able to, you know, whittle it down or, or throw this out, put that in and, and come up with a fantastic, um, presentation. Uh, so I'm always open. I'm always open.
0: Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. It's amazing. Well, I look forward to seeing that and what roles you end up taking on. I mean, you know, with Cirque or, you know, obviously with your own productions, you have uh, Circle Up Productions, which is your production company that you create and produce events with and um, and you create shows. Um, do you see yourself also too creating, you know, like a full show? I know you created like a one-woman show and you also worked for Big Apple. I mean, you know, you worked and did, you know, you've done quite a, Uh, Quite a few things (laughs) over the the course of that time. So it wasn't just Cirque. I mean, you know, also too, can you speak to the lead up to that? Like, I mean, starting out as a performing artist and starting out as an actor, but how did you get into that um, from the beginning? And then how did that lead to clowning for you?
1: Yeah, um, it's an interesting story. So, yeah, like I said, I started off. Um, I went, you know, going to acting school. I studied theater for three years here uh, in Washington State, where I'm from, and then got accepted into the National Shakespeare Conservatory in New York, and was oh. just there was, was a program that was all acting, classical acting. Shakespeare. And we did have <laughs> yeah Shakespeare and all the and all and all the cl- classics. Chekhov, we were doing and um, Ibsen, all these all the classics. Uh, but mostly Shakespeare. But so I graduated from that program and ended up staying in New York and working for a lot of the teachers that had taught me in that program. So I got a lot of experience right out of the gate, just doing independent theater work downtown, uh, downtown East Village, New York stuff. And then um, my one of my best friends, Amy Gordon, who is an amazing clown came out to new york after she graduated from the college where we met and we started working together and producing like little variety shows and she was just adamant that we were clowns (laughs) now i i had never really seen anyone like me clowning like i thought okay that's okay for you white girl but i mean like (laughs) you know like i don't know about this clowning and i don't know how my mama's gonna feel about
0: it you know what did she say what did your mother say (laughs) (laughs)
1: Right, well, I mean, I think she was surprised. But the thing about it is that once I sort of gave into it, uh, me me and Amy were producing shows and we decided that uh we would produce a show and write a show together, a silent show. This is and this is Amy because I was just like, okay, Amy, you know, like I'm going along with you because you're smart and I do trust you, but I don't know about this. Anyway, we were we we <laughs> we were making up this show about the two of us in this tiny apartment and it was all silent. It was all about our, you know, like being in this tiny apartment and we were in we didn't we couldn't afford rehearsal space. So we were in uh Washington Square Park in New York and we were like Oh no, just like doing all this physical comedy and teaching ourselves how to juggle and doing all these crazy things for the show that we wanted to do. And this woman approached us and gave us her card saying, Hey, I'm part of this group that is developing a clown program on cruise ships. Mm. And um, Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines uh, hired all of these ex ringling clowns to develop this program on these huge ships at the time, they were the largest ships in the world. And she said, we have a lot of men who were looking for more women. And she was like, I see you guys over here. Like, I'm not sure what you're doing, but it's hilarious. What would you be interested in being in this program? Um, and coming down, we'll fly you down to Miami and we'll train you. And then, you know, you'll be doing this program on uh this clowning program on, on cruise ships. And me and Amy, you know, are like, oh well, you know, we're producing our own show. I don't know if we have time for that. But uh, <laughs> as we me and Amy were back in our tiny apartment, we were like, wait a second, mm. did she say she they're gonna fly us down to Miami? <laughs> did she say we would be touring the Caribbean? <laughs> wait a second, where'd you put that card? Where'd you put that card? So <laughs> did we <turn> really, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Exactly, so we ended up um, calling her and got, getting accepted. So that was my first introduction to clown. I was trained by ex-ringling clowns uh, on stilt walking and juggling and uh, clown gags. And we opened we opened for the big name acts on cruise ships. And we spent about nine months on on that on cruise ships training with these clowns and learning all this like classic uh, ringling clown stuffs. you know? Um, so, uh, we had that, they made us learn how to pass clubs and juggle rings, juggle balls, walk on stilts. And we were doing all that in all of the, um, material that we were delivering for the passengers. And so after about nine months, we came back to New York And I realized, like, I couldn't go back to a day job. Like, I just spent nine months, like, making a living as a performer, as a clown. So we, me and Amy started, like, we started doing birthday parties and auditioning for different things that we saw. So we heard about Big Apple Clown Care Unit, which was the clowning, hospital clowning. We both auditioned for that and got into that. I auditioned for Circus Amok, which is the outdoor political queer circus in New York run by jennifer miller and um and amy auditioned for Bindlestiff family circus which is keith and stephanie Bindlestiff, and she got into that but then um so that was that was my new york like downtown i mean big apple wasn't downtown but but circus muck and Bindlestiff were downtown and just like making up these crazy shows and using circus skills to like Change the world, like using circus skills to make acts about immigration and and like um about education and police brutality and and the binddelshis were like doing like you know these lori Side shows they were awesome and so once we got into that I got into that community um it was just like using all those skills we learned, we were able to just like mix I was able to mix the theater. And the circus skills, and I created a one-woman show that I was telling you about that that um, explored the stereotypes that uh, it's really the stereotypes of ma- uh, mammy stereotypes in America. Mm. So I wrote that show and I mixed clowning because a lot of that was based, a lot of that uh, Aunt Jemima and all that came out of minstrelsy. So there was a lot of clowning, some clown techniques there with my acting skills and created a show that ended up traveling all over the, all over the uh, North America colleges and universities and different small theaters. And that's how Cirque du Soleil saw me. They walked into, I think a production that was happening at performance space 2022 in New York. And one of the casting directors walked in and, and they invited me to audition for Cirque du Soleil. And I didn't really, Know what Cirque du Soleil was. I mean, I knew what it was, but I couldn't for sure never afford a ticket when they came to New York. So I knew that it was a circus, but I didn't know that there was any place for me in it. And it wasn't until I started talking to folks that were like, wait a second, you gotta, you gotta asked to audition for a Cirque du Soleil show, like everybody was so excited around me that I then began like, yeah, Cirque du Soleil. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, yeah, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm, right. Oh, yes, the Cirque du Soleil.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, that's where i run. And then when I got the job, I think people were even more uh, surprised. And then it wasn't until I actually, it was in 2008 when I actually got flown to Montreal to their headquarters that I realized that this was huge. Like, I, I that it didn't dawn on me until that moment. Like I was just like, oh, this is freaking huge. Like, I'll never forget standing in front of the headquarters with that big old clown boot um, <laughs> that's in front of in front of the building, going like, Holy crap, I I mean, this is something. And then just the headquarters with all of the hustle and bustle of the costumes and the props and this big machine happening towards live entertainment and the acrobats and the dancers and the technicians. Like it was, it, it completely blew my mind. So it took, it totally took me to another level. And, uh, that's my story. Did I, did I cover it?
0: (laughs) 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 I'm like, I I think you, you, well, you can can say more. I just wanted to speak to a couple things because like first shout out to Royal Caribbean because I worked for Royal Caribbean for quite a bit and I love that we both worked for Royal Caribbean. That's amazing. I had a fabulous time working on Royal Caribbean. I would hop on, hop off as a guest entertainer and that was fab. And I love that you worked with Ringling Brother Clowns. That's so fabulous. And then also too, just your story about being discovered doing your one woman show reminds me of how Whoopi Goldberg was discovered to do The Color Purple by Steven Spielberg.
1: Listen. Listen to me. Listen to me. You hit the nail on the head because I learned uh, a few years when I was trying to figure out what to do. And this is part of my education of like how to be a thriving artist and performer was what I learned was that you find someone that's doing what you want to do and you model them. Mm. And that's what I did. I looked at Whoopi Goldberg's career and how she made it, and I modeled her. So she did. She she created her one woman show. It was all downtown theaters before she hit Broadway, and um, I, I I looked up those theaters and I and I um and I submitted my show to all the theaters that Whoopi Goldberg played.
0: Wow! And
1: yeah. And so I played several of those theaters. Now my show didn't, my show didn't go to Broadway, but it went all across North America and to Argentina. And I had a lucrative, lucrative career with that show. And so, so what what, the point is that, you know, I just, I, I modeled after someone and it, and, and I, and it, and it opened doors for me, right? Like we don't have to reinvent the wheel sometimes with this stuff. You like, Find some someone that's doing what you want to do. Model them. You may not get the exact results that they got, but I mean, you know, I didn't. Get, my path wasn't to go to Broadway. My path was to go to Cirque du Soleil, right? Right, like right. Which is which is just as good, if not better, yeah. From in, in my case, in my case. So that you say, whoop! You hit the nail on the head. Whoopi Goldberg is exactly in those early days who I studied, I studied her career. I dug deep and to find out what she did before she got big and I tried to model her. So you, you, you did it. You hit it right on the head.
0: Oh my gosh. That's so fascinating. (laughs) I love that you just said that. I mean, out of all the things, that is like incredible that you like followed that and then like what it opened up into. I mean, that's really remarkable. I mean, like what a masterclass. Of course, like you're saying, like following something that works like what we're saying again, people sometimes don't think that there's an arithmetic and it's like actually no, like there is. I think that's really, really brilliant to see like how people can teach you through their lives. And again, that's why I love doing the podcast because I think it's really fascinating To get into the minds of artists and to you know, people that have done such groundbreaking things. And you're like, how did you do it? Like, what did you do? Because sometimes people think that the most like they think that that's like, they shouldn't do that, you know, like there's this other thing that they need to do. And so they maybe don't do the thing that you did, which is like follow Whoopi Goldberg. I think that's really brilliant about having that type of like mentor. Like I, I have things like that in my life, too, where I just like followed things and I just adapted and I really wanted it. So I just like focused on that particular thing. And then it ended up coming to fruition. I couldn't have really known how. And sometimes you just don't really know how it's gonna happen. And you were obviously incredibly open um and malleable uh, to that experience and also too, I think very, you know, like brave in stepping into that. But I mean also too on the other hand, it, it, it comes back to you just being like, there's so there's very few black female clowns. I mean in Cirque. it's it's or you know, has there been another one? Are you the only one, Michelle? I am trying to think um, how many are there? <laughs> I think we can count them on our hands. Um in terms of Yeah,
1: I don't I can't think of I mean besides the woman that placed me who isn't really like she's a performer I don't think she would claim like fully clown but she's able to physicalize she comes more from an acrobatic background but um um but but she's clowning right like so um but but besides that that are in du Soleil, I don't I can't I don't know I never I never, I never came across anyone while I was at Cirque du Soleil or even heard of anyone. I, you know, there were singers, there was dancers, there were aerialists, there were, you know, like other, um, black girls that were doing other things or that had done other things, but specifically clowning. Um, I can't maybe, and I might be, you know, just because I can't, can't remember, doesn't mean that, it, you know, <laughs>
0: well, well, you know, I, 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 I <laughs> we, history, But I mean, for me, I I also too I I always am, am very tentative as well. I'll say, okay, maybe there's maybe like one one other one out, out there, but uh, spe- specifically for for black clowning, I mean, in in circ, of course, like in 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 ringling, but I mean, it's it's very few. And I mean, in terms right. of just like all over the world, I mean, it's very few. So I mean, just like in terms of carving out a niche for yourself and following that path and following that calling, initially, you know, creating your show, I mean, that's really brilliant. How like it led to that, and it was also to again. Not something that you're really like shooting for or looking for, but it's something that definitely like you brought to yourself, which I think is really amazing to remember of like how, how, um, how uh, magnetic we are with our purpose when you're just doing what you want to do because you created a show that was, <laughs> I was saying this in the last episode, like for us, by us, you know, you really did like the fubo and you like, you know, you created <laughs> a show that was, that was from your heart and that, you know, represented, um, you know, your own specific voice. And then what it like, Led to, I think is, is pretty incredible. I think that's really important to remember. I think a lot of people right. are coming back to that this last year of, I want to make the work and do the work that makes me very happy. And I also think for you also, you got to do the role that you felt you really liked and you really enjoyed. Sometimes when people do get their big chances, it's not always in the role that they feel like reflects them. So they're like, well, I got there doing what I loved, but I didn't get to do this big role the way that I loved it. But I love that your experience is actually different. You felt like a, a very a positive connection to that role and expanded into it and, and loved it. I, I also want.
1: Well, I, I just want to add to that, that, that it was, it did, you know, like uh, there are some things with Cirque and how Cirque deals with clowns. Like I had to fight for that. Like I had to fight for some things, right? Like you, you know, like, and that's just having the forethought that like, Hey, listen, I'm going to be playing this. So I don't know what decision you're making, but I've got to go with this route. So, you know, like I had to stand up for for the character and stand up for the way that I wanted to play her a little bit. And sometimes we have to do that, right? Like sometimes we have to do that. Well, I didn't want to put um, words
0: in your mouth, but I thought that was probably the case. But I didn't want to tell your story for you. I I wanted that to come to you if you wanted to say that. I respectfully am very diplomatic, as you can see on the podcast. I'm very (laughs) diplomatic with my nuances. I pretty much usually know that there was some kind of inner struggle or some kind of fight within that, especially with what you were kind of still, up against because we know we're up against a lot in in these different spaces or whatever. So uh, yes, Absolutely. I, I imagine and,
1: <laughs> and sticking and sticking it through like mm-hmm. the the first creation for the big top. What you know wasn't the dream creation. Like I did, you know, I'll be honest. And that happens in Cirque. Like you just you got to roll with some of the things. But I stayed long enough to get the opportunity to do the second uh, second creation and negotiate how that was going to play out. And that, at that point, they needed me, right? Like, they didn't want to try to find someone new. They were like, you know. So at that time, I got to negotiate really well. Like, look, this is how this has to go down in order for me to do this. So the second creation for me in terms of in the creating room was um, was f- everything I could ever dream of. Um, I, I wish that I could have had that creation for the big top because I enjoyed being in the big top more than I did in arenas. But... The, the material that came out of the creation into the arena, I was very, very proud of. Yeah.
0: Mm, mm, that's good to know. That's good to know that you got a different incarnation to be able to you know reestablish yourself and to fight for different things and to have a different experience I mean not everybody has that I know other artists too that had that experience where they went from big top and you know that it a lot changed as well Um, but I'm glad that you that you had that it was like a second life of your character and again because you were there for so long and you were so established and you were able to use that to your benefit um, when that shift happened and when that shift came but it's very enlightening also too to see what you said for yourself and what those conversations kind of look like and you know again I try to remind everyone too that all these experiences are not perfect they're not perfect and they take negotiating and they take saying things for yourself and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't um you know um Yep. One of my previous guests, she was just on, she has a podcast as well, uh, Shannon McKenna, artist, athlete, and she was interviewing John Gilkey. And he was speaking about his experiences um, on EDs. And, you know, that didn't go well for him, uh, doing his clowning and doing that character and that creation. And there wasn't a lot of cohesiveness for him during that specific situation. And it just didn't work out. I mean, you know, John Gilkey is so brilliant, so amazing, but it just did not work out. And we just, you know, kept laughing. We're like, if it doesn't work out for John Gilkey, who can it work out for? Um, oh yeah,
1: I remember having a conversation with him, um, and that should have been a brilliant show because yes. wasn't only John—it wasn't only John Gilkey, but Eric Davis was on that <laughs> uh, on that show too. But I remember yes. having um, having a little conversation in the lobby after seeing that show with John Gilkey Gilkey, and I was like, "Oh man, this is not this is not good," and that's so crazy because he's he's created such a couple, you know, a couple of very iconic. Uh, characters for for Cirque and so um and the same way with like uh same thing with Eric Davis like this brilliant brilliant uh performer and clown and just just didn't just didn't work out for that for that show for that vision so sometimes it it doesn't yeah sometimes it doesn't go your way and there's so many uh you know with a Cirque creation there's so many people in the room Mm -hmm like Mm -hmm. (laughs) thousands thousands everybody yeah and so it's 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 notoriously difficult Mm -hmm. for uh clowns Mm -hmm. uh who are creating Mm -hmm. or even clowns that are stepping into to roles i mean it's Mm -hmm. just it's just like 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 like, and and the thing that we used to joke about with cirque is like cirque has you know a a a huge talent to get the like best in the world you know Mm -hmm. like like we used to tease our 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 drummer who was a brazilian brilliant brilliant Bra- brazilian drummer like when we first heard him play not cirque stuff we were like holy it blew our minds <laughs> um, but but you know they have this brilliant artist uh percussionist and then they just have them hitting a triangle <laughs>
0: or they have like the world champion acrobat who's like turning in circles in the corner but not doing any acrobatics like
1: right right right. the
0: whole contract two three years in the contract they don't have to doing one flip and they're like an Olympian acrobat yeah and they're like twirling in the corner not doing it yeah exactly
1: or I remember seeing a show too where they they had this amazing, they actually had an amazing <laughs> acrobatic sequence that was happening on stage, but it was like way in the back and not lit. You know, it's like, it's so weird. So anyway, that, that comes with, I think, you know, being on that huge level and um, wanting that mass appeal. Um, and so it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting experience to have for sure. Um And not for everybody, and everything doesn't always work, as we have just just
0: discussed. (laughs) (laughs) I know it does not. Well What do you think, Michelle, about the huge, like, BIPOC shifts in circus this past year? And, you know, how do you see the future of circus for BIPOC artists? And, you know, I mean, obviously for artists in general, but, you know, this was a very, now that we're like, you know, on that topic and focusing in and around that too, and obviously on your exclusive, your workshop that you're doing, um, you know, I would love for you to speak on that and what you think is kind of like the most urgent need for BIPOC artists existing in these spaces. Um, like we know, we're all very few and far in between, um in Circ, in circus at large, um all over the world. Like we're saying you're like the one almost. Two, three, maybe <laughs> um, Cirque clowns. Um, you know, I never, I never, in all of my years of working with Cirque, had the privilege of working with any, um, I think, black clowns at all. Um, in all of right. my shows and in all of my events that I've done all over the world with Cirque, so um, I right. never had the privilege of coming of crossing paths with you um, on that on that working level. So, right. what do you think about that? How do you think that? You know, obviously first, like I asked, like, what are your reflections on this past year? And then what do you think yeah, is the most urgent need? And then going forward, what should that, like, look like?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's been fascinating. I think mm-hmm. right off the top of my head, what I want to say is uh, it's our time. <laughs> <Yes>. Now <laughs> is the time. Like, And I didn't know that. Like, when, totally, when Clown Jim approached me about doing a an all, a BIPOC exclusive Clown workshop. I was like, well, I mean, I hope you're not expecting me to bring the clowns because I don't know where they are, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? if you, you know, I, I, I will certainly do it, but you know, I don't depend on me because I don't know any of their black clowns. Really. I, I know what? like two, right? <laughs> I, I know like two. They're like, you know, they're they don't need my workshop, you know, right. like, and so, um, so they were like, okay, well, let's just put it out there. Well, to my amazement, the class sold out, and all of a sudden, here's these bipoc babies, an artists looking at me because they've googled me and because I was in Cirque, I have a Wikipedia page that someone wrote, and like some had been following me, waiting for me to do something. Like all of a sudden, it my whole perspective changed after having this first class with 12 um, bipoc, you know, wannabe clowns, performers, from japan from uk from all over the united states i was like oh okay and they're ready they're ready like they're like teach us you know <laughs> like, how did you do it and then just the conversations that we had at the beginning because i really was like okay we got to acknowledge that like uh this might be the first time in the history of the world (laughs) (laughs) that a BIPOC exclusive clown class is happening. Like, I don't know, but I mean, maybe so, but anyway, um, but we had to have the conversation about like, how are we feeling? What does this mean? Who are we? You know, Mm -hmm. like, and the conversation was so deep about being like the only one in other classes and, um, and just that that um, that sensibility that you know, as a black performer, when you're the only one in a class or in a project, how you know you you kind of hold back for certain different reasons that are steeped in our history, right? Like just you know, you know, like why are they really laughing at me? Like what is this? What's going on? You know, <laughs> like um, you know, it's just it's just this thing. So. So I think that having these BIPOC exclusive spaces is important, um, in terms of growth, in terms of letting letting go and and learning the learning what clowning really is and getting past sort of our uh, for at least for African Americans in this country the the history behind and the negativity behind clowning a little bit, which is. And I can't exactly explain this. We have we've had conversations about it, but it's connected to minstrelsy mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this shame, and there's this like um, this history, this very complex history about um, how how African American performers have been used in this country, how they've been abused, and <clears throat> what has happened historically in this country. Right? Like so, there's some weeding through that and peeling back the layers through that. That that once we do that, then we'll be able to like fully embrace clowning and just like crush it, right? Like, and so that's kind of what we're doing in our in in this in the the bipoc workshops that I'm offering is just peeling back all that shit so that we can get to like playing and creating and finding that child wonderment again, finding those funny moments that are exclusive to us too because of our experience. I mean, think about it. We Black people are the most, the funniest people on earth. I know. (laughs) And so to enter that clown and to really learn what the clown is, like, we are going to crush it. We are going to crush it. Like, I, I am so excited about it. It's our time. And I'm saying that for all, you know, a lot of performers, like, and actors that, you know, to have a certain way of thinking about clown. If you're an actor and you're out there and you've never taken a clown class, do it now it's going to make you a better actor um, but 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 and if you if you're interested in clowning do it it's 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 an eye opening different just perspective on performance and i tell you what i have never ever been asked to clown in a show for publicity or that there's going to be great agents in the in the audience I'm always offered um, bills, dollar bills, Mm, right? Like mm -hmm. as an actor, you're expected to work so much for free. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: As a clown, never, never, not once. And I don't care. The first time I worked for Bittlesith as a clown, I didn't know anything. They handed me $25 in cash. (laughs) That blew my mind. I had already been in like dozens of other theatrical shows. They didn't offer me crap. Besides the potential of uh, maybe an agent being that was coming to the performance that then might, like, you know, see me and want to put me, you know, represent me or whatever. So um, I've made an amazing living uh, being a clown. I've made amazing art being a clown. I've met amazing people being a clown. I fully embrace clown.
0: (laughs) Uh, Come for the ride. (laughs) she is clown she is clowning she is the clown (laughs) oh that's so beautiful it's so amazing and so inspiring michelle like it's so epic and because we are african-american women and this is women's history month celebrating women and uh and also coming up we also have um uh i think it's uh yeah the so sexual violence month, uh, protecting uh, women in and around that. I think it's I think it's for everybody actually though. Um, so that's for for next month. But it, obviously there's like a centering in and around uh, women and girls. But I wanted to ask you too to speak on that in terms of where what's where do you see women in circus and your perspective on being a woman in circus? Oh, obviously a woman of color, black woman. Um, but yeah, the celebration and what that kind of inspires in you of uh of, of seeing women in circus. I always I've been saying on the podcast recently, you know women do so much in circus and lead so much of circus yet we're still many times not the first name off of somebody's tongue like we're not always the ones in still the bigger roles or with the biggest biggest acts and you know everybody is constantly saying you know women are at the bedrock of circus studios and pushing this environment forward and getting it out there and whose people's students are and how they engage and so you know I always I, I find that fascinating and I think this has been, again, another year of waking us up to all sorts of things within circus that are evolving and changing and what we need to see more of. I, you know, um, reflect on Amaluna, how, you know, that was a, sto- a show that was meant to be an all-female cast that didn't become right. an all-female circus show.
1: <laughs> they, right, ended right. Up,
0: they came to me and my partner after they switched it. They asked us to be in the show. We were like, well, I thought this was supposed to be an all-female show. But Okay. You know, they switched that and, you know, but it's obviously centered around the story of women and the goddess and and the power of of who women are. But, you know, we're so multifaceted, so multidimensional. And again, we all want to continue to see us all flourish in a lot of different roles and assume a lot of different spaces and places. So can you speak also to and how, um, you know, radically it feels moving through circus as as women or not radical? I mean, however it has felt to you. I don't know. I don't speak for you, but uh, listening to you.
1: Yeah, you know, um, for the most part, and well, especially in the clown world, you know, it's a, it's a, it's basically a, a white man's world, right? Mm-hmm, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, the circus world, anyway. There's just like all white dudes that are running this thing, and that's got to change, right? Yeah. Like, that I know so many freaking amazing um, female funny clowns mm-hmm. that, and I think this is our time too. This is our time. Like, I just did a six week workshop with Shannon Calcutt, who was, uh, who was the main, so she was the first woman to do her own act, own clown act, her own clown act for um, Zumanity. She did it for, she played that role for 15 years. Mm. Um, And I just did her six week um, um, F bomb clown, all female clown workshop. And I'm telling you, it was phenomenal. Um, and that's at the Celebration Barn. I'm gonna plug her because it's just like she's amazing. If you go to Celebration Barn and find uh, Shannon Calcutt, her 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 uh, workshop is awesome. It's all female. And anyway, the the clown, the women that were in that class, like it was so phenomenal and funny, and just to be in that space with all women, just to feel the power and the funny. And I think what's gonna come out of this um, pandemic is you're gonna see a, a lot of um, really funny women banding together or on their own, whatever, developing some circuses and shows uh, that are going to come out of this um, and just, you know, blooming really. Um, and it's inevitable. It's inevitable. I think um, women in general, I mean, like, I think our, our, it's our time, you know, like, I think we just see women blooming everywhere. I mean, we have a woman vice president, uh now. Look at all these women mayors across our country. Um all you know, so we're gonna be changing policy, we're gonna be inventing new stuff, and we're gonna be making the world laugh their asses off um <laughs> in 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 new in new shows and new creations and innovations as we come up out of this uh global pandemic pandemic. Um I'm very hopeful um about where, where, where women are going and who's been paving that way already. Mm. It's, it's super powerful. And I think it's, 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 it's happening. It's gotta happen.
0: That's so beautiful. Do you, do you know, do you know Lisa Lepine?
1: Lise Lapine. No, I don't. Yeah, Lise Lapine. No, I don't yeah, know. she's
0: a very – I worked with her a lot in special events with Cirque, and she's um a, hilarious, a hilariously splendid, splendid uh, performer woman. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to interrupt your flow because it was so epically beautiful, but Lise um, jumped into my mind. And, um, again, with the radically beautiful, zany, um, hilarious uh, women that I've come across to um, in my career path, Lise Lapine is – definitely one that that sticks out but thank you so much for paving uh the way michelle um and for trailblazing um your path and your path and the path of others i wanted to ask you if there is anything you wanted to add to our fun conversation that we didn't touch on anything crazy
1: uh, <laughs> um, no i mean you know we i think we got some crazy stuff in there um it's been wonderful. Thank you for having me on your podcast, and I really uh, appreciate what you're doing too. I mean, this is just like we're speaking the same language, and. This is just phenomenal, and uh, yeah, that was it. It's been fun. This has been amazing, awesome, and I'm introduced to all sorts of new technology that you're using, and it's all great. So, so. shout out
0: to Zencaster. We're still trying to get that sponsorship, so shout out to Zencaster. I'm making I'm making my my episode plug right there. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: No, but keep doing it. I can't wait to hear who else you have lined up. And uh, this is this has been super fun.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you on, Michelle. Again, you're so amazing. Thank you for sharing your journey with the podcast and for again, paving the way, you know, you are so special. Um, you really I mean, there's only a few of you in history, um, just as you, um, and you know, how important that is. I think it's so important to make those recognitions and to hear your story and all of the brilliant wisdom that you have to share. And thank you for staying open and committed to this medium and to this business, um, and for spreading even more awareness. Um, about different facets of circus and performing arts, performing uh arts that we can go into and that artists have access to and so that they, you know, can follow you and be ushered by you into the careers that they really want to have. And like you said, it's so important right now because people BIPOC artists have been waiting. There's so many artists out there looking for people that look like them that have had the careers that they know that they can have and that they can see a solid path to having that. And then listening to how somebody has done that before. I think This is just so eye opening for everyone, and it's very engaging. And you know, you're just such a light, beautiful, brilliant spirit, Michelle. And um, I'm really um, grateful um, for everything uh, that you've committed to in your artistic life, uh, in your life, just you know, in general. And I look forward to seeing all the amazing things that you're going to continue to create in circus and performing arts, you know, the performing arts world at large. So, thank you so much. I'm really honored to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. It's very lovely.
0: Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast where I interviewed the Michelle Matlock. She is just a fascinating human being and hilarious, of course, but incredibly grounded in her perspective in the entertainment industry and in the performing arts. Let this be a message and a continued call to protect our circus women, to celebrate our circus women in circus history, To continue to make history as circus women if you identify as a woman i include in everything i always say all women in all ways that you identify as a woman we need to do better for our circus women we need to lift them up more we need to elevate our circus women more we need to elevate our BIPOC circus women more, but most of all, we need to celebrate the immense contributions of circus women all over the world at all times and in big ways and through real change and through what I continue to say, legislation, policies, and circus activism. My heart and dedication of this episode goes out to the AAPI or the Asian American Pacific Islanders that have had a very difficult and challenging week. On March 27th, we march, we stand with you, and we rise. The Live Like an Acrobat podcast is also available on Circus Talk, the inclusive, independent, and international online network for the circus industry. Circus Talk's mission is to create a level playing field for this industry and democratize access to information. Please consider subscribing to the Live Like an Acrobat podcast and to the thecircuspreneurblog.com where you will find extended conversations and interactive content of each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast. I'm your host, Sinead Stiletto, and until next time, please stay safe and stay healthy.